welcome to Rules of the Frame. My name is Connor Reed. My name is Riley Hardy. And today we have a guest with us, Andrew Lewis. Hi, I'm Andrew Lewis. Uh, you let me do it. You do it. <laughs> I'm Andrew Lewis. I'm here. I'm excited to, to talk about uh, 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 Levy and Rowe. Yeah. Uh, I'm prepared. Um, I'm very excited. Crap, I think I'll watch the wrong movie. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. You did. Yeah. Why does this always happen? Gotcha. No. <laughs> uh, Kong of King. I'm excited for Kong of King. Yeah. Yeah, Kong, Kong. Kong of King. <laughs> so, Andrew and I have worked together on uh, True Detective before. That's how we... I, if, we if our NDAs allow us. Yeah, right, we right. worked on True Detective that out, maybe. out in Arkansas. <laughs> now... Um, We'll say we worked on a show together. Cut yeah, that last part. No, out. no, we can say who cares. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we worked on True Detective together, and uh, um, that is the first uh, collaboration of yeah. ours, and uh, it, it went well. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't have a joke there. Um, <laughs> we'll cut, we need to cut that. Um, no, but yeah, worked on True Detective. Um, sorry, just going to stop. Yeah, you can. I don't know. I've been out here for a while uh, in L.A. Sorry, Los Angeles for uh, viewers and everywhere. Uh, Los Angeles is a city on the west coast of the United <laughs> States. Um, no, but I, uh, yeah, and, you know, just worked all over the industry. I worked as, a, as an assistant on that, uh, worked as a writer in a couple of things, um, and sort of just worked in Hollywood since uh, since The O.C. was a television show, just to date myself there. Um, I was 18, right. I swear. Uh, I've sworn that before. Um <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about. Let's. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I, yeah. I'm glad you guys wanted to do it. I think it's a cool movie. Uh, it says a lot about documentaries. Says a lot about our time. And uh, right. um, let's save that. That's some gold right there. Let's yeah. find gold. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, we're so this is like the third episode in our documentary series, and this is kind of like. I mean, we've been trying to shake it up each one with like presenting different documentaries, and so you know, first we started off with Grey Gardens, which is like, you know, very personal story where you're just like oh like who are these people and like kind of digging into that and like the psyches of these two women and then you have something like Baraka which is just this huge epic that just tells the story of time and humanity of of one of my favorite uh Mortal Kombat characters I really (laughs) I think I think how did he get the swords on his arms it's it's a topic I've always yeah I've always wondered I've always wanted to know but I'm, I'm glad uh, they continued the series with Baraka. Um, yeah, can't wait for the follow-up uh, sequel. Yeah, yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. is he that boring? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's basic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of like a uh, like a uh, what's the, what was it? A Maisel documentary? Like it's sort of like uh, the, what is it? Salesman? Yeah, salesman. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the mm. salesman of the Street Fighter trilogy <laughs> series. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the Gimme Shelter one. That's gonna be fun. oh, it's gonna be great. Uh, yeah, they're saving that one for. Um, for uh, M. Bison. M. Bison. Yeah. Who was originally... I know this is really important for... Actually, it is a game. This We're is talking like about games. Like this is perfect. We're on topic. Uh, no, but M. Bison was originally the the fighter. That was the name of the fighter. Oh. But because uh, everyone realized he was M. Tyson, and they were ripping off uh, oh. uh, Mike Tyson, they were oh. like, oh, we should get rid of that. Yeah, so in the American version... Sue us. Yeah, so in the American version, it became um, uh, M. Bison, and then whatever that... They switched the names around, right? Which huh. is which is what everyone That's looks for when they talk yeah. about Baraka. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and now cool. we're doing King of Kong, a fistful of quarters. Do you think that the little <laughs> second part of the name is necessary at all? Absolutely. No, I guarantee it's a lawsuit thing. Like, right. I'm certain it's some kind of like King Kong 
thing legal whatever because no it's terrible and I mean it's indulgent but then again the entire movie is indulgent in that way in a good way in like the best of ways but like it is this hilarious like uh, someone was like wouldn't it be funny if we put this and they're like okay right or then they were like we can't get sued and you're like right okay Right. Because really, like, if you're looking up anything about this, like, online, you really have to type in, like, the full name, because otherwise it's like, oh, King of Kong, like, interview. It's like, it always switches to, oh, you meant King Kong interview. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. a competing documentary about the creator of Donkey Kong, and it was actually, no, I have <laughs> <laughs> I almost believed you for a second. Which also, Donkey King. That Donkey was a typo. King. Right. Because, and that actually, Donkey was not a typo. It wasn't Monkey King. People say that. Right. But the don- Donkey, it was some in the translation uh it's like stupid or, yeah, we're, yeah. this is video game trivia like, <laughs> 90s video 80s and yeah. 90s video game trivia with andrew hopefully we're uh, knocking out some of the questions that riley has for us yeah. at the end right now <laughs> so far no ah so, okay so yeah unfortunately well riley um, do you want to get into the summary of this film i do but first andrew so kong of king is that where you watch uh king of kong in reverse is that what that yeah is? It, it actually yeah it tells the it, it's sort of like the memento and right. you actually discover at the very beginning that billy he he did beat billy exactly years earlier right and then okay. now has to go back to it and that's so it's <laughs> right and I then you hear it. like all the subliminal messages that steve weeby has been putting in the entire time yeah. whenever you hear all of his words backwards right uh brian Koo is dead brian Koo yeah <laughs> The, um, now Brian Koo is still retired and he works at the I'm, I'm ruining your question sorry for the land sorry but oh, Brian no. Koo is currently retired and uh, still works at like a at like an arcade near his house oh my gosh. Like he retired at like 30 as like a billionaire yeah what was Jeez. his career that's what I'm curious I think about. he was a banker like right. I think it was some kind okay. of banking technology or um, hmm. but yeah he like retired at 30 and does to pass the time now works at an arcade and he like set the record I, this was so weird but he set the record for like the longest time someone's worked like like, he had, like oh, an, right. a 90 hour a week that. or something and he tried to sell that paycheck on ebay and like not a single person bid on it right it's like, <laughs> yeah it was like 116 hours or something like that right yeah, yeah, like, yeah. something crazy it's like dude okay. you retired that would have been a good trivia question but i did not find that in my <laughs> research uh, I, I have my own trivia questions at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's about your trivia, though. So we have to hear what your oh. trivia is. Mm. Okay. Excited for that. This is, this is the most punchy episode. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I'm excited. To hear, so I'm excited. I haven't seen this movie, so I'm excited to hear what it's about before we talk about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's just summarize it in a few sentences here. <laughs> Not much of a plot. There's a, definitely a plot. Right. It's an interesting interesting story i might argue it's so, actually the plottiest of docs of like really just it it very not to jump i'm excited for the summary i'm excited <laughs> <laughs> yeah so king of kong is based in the world of competitive arcade gaming and the game in question is the classic donkey kong 1980 81 i believe or 82 yeah i think 81 um side note it happens to be the very first appearance of mario in a video game mario um, mario uh, brother of Mario, Luigi Mario, Mario. The, right? The Italian plumber. We did. This is Super Mario Brothers, right? That's the yeah, we did exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, and we we focus on Billy Mitchell, who achieves, or he actually achieved, the world record score of eight hundred seventy-four thousand three hundred, which would have which wasn't beaten for almost twenty years. So he held the record for a long time. But the majority of the documentary focuses on. The latest challenger, a guy named Steve Wiebe, who's a math teacher from Washington, um, and he travels to Fun Spot, a video arcade in New Hampshire, to challenge Billy Mitchell to a little friendly competition for the title of Donkey Kong champion. 
but Billy Mitchell proves pretty quickly to be kind of this mysterious guy who continuously refuses to show up to these live challenges and is kind of just this, I don't know, at least in this documentary, kind of com- comes off arrogant a little bit. So he doesn't show up, but instead of showing up, he mails a VHS tape of himself scoring a higher score than Steve Wiebe had just scored a few hours ago, right before that tape was delivered. And nine Ain't months later, <laughs> nine months later, Guinness World Records uh, publishes the Twin Galaxies records, uh, including Mitchell's latest score, and he hosts a tournament in Mitchell's hometown of Hollywood, Florida, which, again, Weeby challenges Mitchell to a public competition, but once again, Mitchell declines to show up. So, Weeby fails to surpass the record, but Walter Day, who is the founder of the Twin Galaxies, which is the organization that regulates video game score, video arcade game records, and so they're kind of the regulatory authority on that. Um, so yeah, Walter Day acknowledges uh, Weeby's integrity and continues to invite him to submit tapes, but he does not beat uh, Mitchell's score at that time. But the very end of the movie, we show that Weeby achieved the high record of 1,049,100 in his garage. So that's kind of where the documentary ends, and that's kind of the plot. There's a lot more in there, but I didn't want to just say all of it right then, so we can get into it. But my two words were fun versus feet, because this made me think about video games and how they're supposed to be fun, but also the competitive nature of them and how they can be uh, very intense sports, or however you want to define sports. But E-sports. E-sports, yeah. E-sports, right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so I loved the level of seriousness that these people brought to the to, to esports to the game of Donkey Kong, and uh, I just thought it was interesting how they pitted those t- those two things together. Um, but those are my two words. Nice, cool. Um, I mean, my two words are arrogant indulgence. I just feel like, I mean, these characters are just like. They're crazy, you know? They yeah. like what are they really striving for? It just kind of seems I don't know, it's like funny in a way. It's like kind of like a little inspiring in a way, but mostly like pathetic too, where you're just like, yeah, why is this sad. Yeah, where it's like you just kind of see what happens whenever someone gets so obsessed with something and just takes it to like this next level and you're like, Oh man, I never want to get to that spot. Like, you know, everyone just like has hobbies and likes doing things, but whenever it gets to something like that, where you literally like commit your life to it and you're like forsaking like everything else in order to like get the highest Donkey Kong score in the world. Mm -hmm. You're just like, I don't know. Like what does life mean to these people? Like when they look back on and like their last days of just like, Oh man, I wish I hadn't spent a third of my life playing Donkey Kong. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I I think a lot of it is sort of the toxic nature of nostalgia, like where Mm. they really don't have, and I think that really is an undercurrent of Weeby in that, like there's so many things with his wife that like, to me, there's this whole world of it, but it's like even Weeby, who's like the most normal of these guys, the one who has this job who, you know, does well and, and lives his life. But but is this, uh, there's this toxicity of like constantly striving for, they're all striving for a past. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think the movie does such a great job of layering in those little things like, like with his dad or like, or like Billy and how he's taken this whole empire and he's built, I mean, he's, he's built this whole world on these scores and you sort of understand where like, 
you know, and in this movie, right, like, I think, you, as you said, Riley, it was like 12 years, what, 12 years since the score had been changed or something? Some I think it was like close to 20, close to 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. But Almost it, 20 years. Uh, okay, I didn't get that trivia question. Wow, okay. No, I'm <laughs> uh, but, um, but, but, you know, and then the fact that, like, this guy built this empire on it and this had this sense of, like, this will never be beaten. And then, by the way, since then, like, since this documentary aired, we had such a perfect slice of a time because right. after that, like, now I think, like, Steve Wiebe is number 12 on the mm-hmm. list and Billy Mitchell Yeah, several anywhere. people just keep, it just keeps going, right. going and, up. And it's just the the sort of arrogance of, like, it, it got this perfect snapshot of, like, and obviously you're not seeing a lot. Billy clearly was, like, interviewed at the beginning and then, like, wasn't showing up a lot at the end. Right. But um, you do get to see this sense of, like, a guy whose entire life is about to just kind of crumble because the foundation wasn't that strong to begin with because it's based on a score that who knows if it's real like he was good but i mean uh you know and then he has this tape there that he definitely just broke the record that day like he's had this tape for 30 years and they proved later you know it was um doctored yeah it was doctored so he's had this tape ready on an emulator for what 10 years or something Mm -hmm. and also the entire score like the fact that that referee was like we'll get into it but like the fact that the referee was like watching videotapes to maintain scores and like how outdated is that now I know. now they yeah. run they like the way they i think the way they found out was they ran source material source footage through like the mame emulator yeah. yeah and they ran these things through these things through this um this confirmation kind of thing they checked the code and you're like that's crazy to me how different it is now versus then yeah it's crazy because there's like there's no money involved here either right right there's, well for billy not... there, for billy and walter there is though and they think that that is actually something really interesting culturally, which is this idea of, uh, you know, the idea that uh, you are willing to maintain a system when you have financial incentive to do so. Like for Billy, it's like the he builds the the hot sauce empire based on this score. Walter Day, mm. Twin Galaxies, like that's the biggest deal they've ever had as this gal- guardian, this point. Guinness thing. Yeah. But but you're right, like for yeah. like Brian Koo or, or Weeby especially, like. You know, I think that I think there is a really interesting financial current where he like some guy was like, "Oh, I'll pay for your trip," right? And they really do get into the realities in a way that like, you know, film never gets into money. Mm-hmm. Like you never talk about money; you always talk about vague things. And that's such a fascinating thing where they really do talk about a like middle class suburban life in right. a really nice mm-hmm. way. But you're right; like it isn't about the money; it's about this right accomplishment. Yeah, right. Feet the achievement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, my two words. Um, uh, Gamergate. Because <laughs> it's like okay. the first... I mean, I mean, we can get into that stuff, but like it really mm-hmm. does feel like there's... You know, the whole Gamergate thing. Uh, we're about to get doxxed. But, um, you know, it, <laughs> it feels like there's a very straight line between these two kind of like... When a subculture is is all these six people. Like, Weeby, what's mm-hmm. interesting, he's this guy who's a total outsider. Right. And all of these guys have all been there every year, like... They've known each other for 20, 30 years, and then uh, this outsider comes in. I mean, yeah, he's still a, a you know white straight male, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like, like there is this sense of like, oh, oh, outsiders? No, no, no. Like, and it shows that it's not just internet culture. It's not the right. prevalence of technology. What technology is doing is revealing, like, making these things more clear, more bared out, because that's that's how these people act. Like, they are. If they had the anonymity of a message board, just imagine. I mean, the fact that, like, <laughs> yeah, what's that thing late in the movie where he's like, oh, uh, Steve Weeby is here. Uh, uh, he was not invited. I don't know oh, how right. he came, oh, yeah. you know, like, came right. here. 
it was like it was like reality tv at at a certain point (laughs) oh yeah i mean there's that there's so many amazing shots that you're just like wow how did gordon and his team get this right this footage but like there's that shot where like he's whispering on the phone going like Mm -hmm. oh uh yeah no steve weeby is here and weeby's literally sitting behind him (laughs) (laughs) and he's nice about it you know he's super nice about it and he it's it really kind of shows you know you really do get a snapshot of this guy's whole life right I mean, the mindset of these people as well of like kind of like how we were talking about beforehand with just the the arrogance of it. But it really speaks to how much humans want to leave a legacy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that I feel like for these people that this was their thing. It's like this is how I'll be remembered, like how I put my name in the annals of history and all that. And just like... um, (laughs) um, Annals of history. Continue. As so two saying, ends. You said the annals of history. Yeah. Put together, Connor. <laughs> right. I was. No, hey, <laughs> That's, you're putting them there. Yeah. Putting. putting Sorry, them I was just staring at Connor and started laughing. Continue. I heard you. But just <laughs> we're gonna cut. We're gonna cut that. But it's yeah. so funny. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not gonna say anything, but I'm gonna crack. Um, um, but just like even our obsession with like wanting to be remembered somehow, even if it's just for like this tiny like, oh, I had my name in the Guinness Book of World Records mm-hmm. in 2004. You right. know, and that's like how it'll be known throughout history. But mm-hmm. oh, the Time Magazine, like they definitely, yeah. Yeah, they they're the only like maintaining subscriber to Time Magazine. Like they definitely still have that issue, right. and they were all in it. Mm-hmm. I think there was something where it's like he actually held the record for both games, but uh, but the other guy was claiming to be or something. And it was this really weird, like right, like funny that like they're thinking about it's like no one else, like even Time Magazine knew that and didn't care. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we need twelve people for twelve games. Right. I don't care what you're like <laughs> and like even even like fast forwarding to now where even though Weeby isn't um the head of it anymore, he's still like has like the record for like first person to get like past a million mm-hmm. on like Donkey Kong and he's like, I'm fine with that. Like I don't need to do it competitively anymore. And same thing with like Billy Mitchell too, because he's been like had all of his scores like erased and thrown out. He's not allowed to compete anymore. And yeah, he's like so fine. And it's like of course because People are going to remember him much more than they're going to remember the person who now has the highest score because he was the villain. He's like this guy who's just like known and like had like all these other claims. Like and was he just in has magazine the persona the and he's exactly. got the hair yeah. and the, the hot hair. sauce and you oh. know, the restaurants. Yeah. Do you think he bathes in that hot sauce too? <laughs> I mean, I think that he's, he conditions with it definitely. Right. Um, <laughs> I thought it was so funny because the whole time I'm watching him, I'm like, he looks like Peter Dinklage. Like he looks like Peter Dinklage. <laughs> and and I then I remember like in, in Pixels, Peter Dinklage plays... A character yes. that is very much like Billy, yeah, Billy Mitchell, and, and you know, I mean, that's so funny because that movie, I, I, for some reason, I always thought I don't think Seth Gordon actually he didn't direct it, but I think he was attached for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because that movie, like, it has so many. Like, I think Steve Weeby shows up in yeah, it. He's I in think it. like Dinklage is playing uh, Billy Mitchell. Like, mm-hmm. it is really funny to watch. Um, just sort of like how you take that kind of element and then build this bigger movie with it, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's just interesting. It's it's such a funny yeah. uh, uh, thing. I don't know the whole. I mean the whole. I mean that's kind of what documentaries are, right? It's like it really isn't necessarily about. It's a world. Like there's two different types of documentaries. There's ones where it's like, oh, this is about a period, a moment in time, and an mm-hmm. event, and this is sort of that. But and they construct that in a really nice way. But, um, but it really is a snapshot into a world. Right. And seeing how this world reacts to change, like mm-hmm. how this guy comes in, and. Um, and yeah, I just think it's so strange that, yeah, like, it really was a turning point. You're right. None of them have that anymore. But for one moment in time, 
we saw how terribly they act like yeah. as people like we see like the worst <laughs> of humanity come out right and i mean the fact that the climax of the movie spoiler is <laughs> like is the fact that like Billy Mitchell is ignoring. He's like, yeah, I don't want to associate with some people. And you're like, yeah, what are we? What is wrong with you? How old are you? Yeah. And your wife is just like, yeah, I don't know. No, I, yeah. and I mean, and the fact that it's like, oh no, I've never seen him play. I've never seen him compete. And you're like, right. he probably hasn't played in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He probably he got the score and he was like, I'm good. I'm gonna go build my. I don't know what Hot does all day. Empire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he yeah. They, right, there was that whole montage where they're like when he was saying like, oh, I'm too busy, and they're like, yeah, and he is. Why just like just periods of the day where he's doing nothing? Right, and you're like, oh, he didn't come in to like one today yeah. and all that, and you're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's he's like set, and it's it's so weird. Like this film, I just feel like what happened beforehand was the directors or the director and like producers like went out and like watched a bunch of movies, and they're like, oh, what if we had like this segment in here? Like, mm-hmm. there's one scene that like cracks me up. It's just whenever it's like first introducing mm-hmm. Steve Weeby. And it's, like, all of these things where you just kind of see him, like, starting off, like, on the arcade game. And then it, like, cuts to him, like, making these graphs. I'm like, did this just, like, turn into a beautiful mind? Like, they're treating him like he's, like, Steve Nash. Like, he has, like, all these, like, algorithms down and, like, all that. And you're just like, yeah. what? Like, what pictures are they trying to, like, paint with these people? But I, think that's I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, you got to kind of see what his mind was like and how they played. Because that's what's interesting to me is yeah. right. how are they that good? Yeah. You don't yeah. really see craft. I mean, I think that's the mm-hmm. point because yeah. it very much is a like uh, bird's eye view of the world. But mm-hmm. and that's per- you know that's really well done. But I, you do kind of want that. I, I that is the one thing I did want more of. And I get why it's not in the mainstream version of this movie. But like, because um, I'd argue this is one of the most mainstream documentaries I've ever seen in terms mm-hmm. of how narrative craft and and uh, just accessibility. Like just in terms of how it's made. But um, there isn't a lot of the like, why are they better? Right, like Brian Koo, who they mock him because it's like, oh, he's he's like oh, always, you know, he never had his million. I think that's the right. That's his end. The kill screen thing was like what he was wanting or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. His Animal House moment. Uh, right, and um, and yeah, it's weird because they don't, uh, you know, you, you don't. He's clearly top one percent of the world at right. this game, and and it is really interesting to watch people. Like, have you guys played uh, um, Donkey Kong recently? Mm-mm. Um, probably like. Four or five months ago, yeah. yeah. Uh, nice prep work. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't. Uh, but no, it is funny. Like I forget, like how hard that those yeah. early games are. Like that game is not. Like people complain about like what Battletoads or stuff from the mm-hmm. '90s, and I'm like I can. That's easy. Like right. any. I you know but actually I haven't played games in years but like when I play games, whatever I own games. I just whatever. I remember how it's like some of those like what was it. Uh, I just watched Aladdin, and um, and it's funny because the whole time I wasn't like I love the movie, but my nostalgia f- was for the game, mm. was for like the Genesis, and yeah. Super Nintendo games. Oh, and totally. They were so hard. Yeah. Um, they were well. That Lion King was impossible. Yes, I could like, never get past Lion the Lion King. The Genesis one. was the hardest game <laughs> yes. I've ever played. Oh my but, gosh! But, but but other than those, like games, I can master games, but like those '80s arcade games are. Especially Donkey Kong are mm-hmm. impossible. Oh yeah! Mm. Like, um, did you ever go to Arcadia in Fayetteville? Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. this like wonderful little retro arcade there, and I mean, we just go in for like an afternoon, like in college, you yeah. know, because it's like five bucks to get in, then you can play any game however much yeah. you want, and oh, like, cool. and so we oh, had, like, I, did. I did go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went and, one night, and so like, yeah, I remember like sprinklings of like. Like N64 games on the ground, right? And you're like, okay. it's so strange. <laughs> like I mean, it's amazing. And, like a maggot in there, and you're like. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> it's all good, I guess. Yeah, okay. 80s, you know. That's your thing. Yeah, I remember playing Donkey Kong on it, and I was just like, I got past like the second screen, and I was like, and like just couldn't get any further than that. Like it's so hard, and like other mm. games, like um, uh, I can't believe uh, it's not butter. Dragon Quest or something like. No, no, no. The, the um, game. That, yeah, I can't believe it's not butter. The game. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, they, I'm sure they made that. Like I'm sure. <laughs> like in night, like there's definitely like a like they made what, like the they, raisins uh, yeah, video yeah, yeah, game and seven the, up game with spots right and chest Pepsi guy game. yeah yeah they, when they were like platformers were all the thing exactly uh, Dragon Quest no I never played it or not Dragon Quest what is the the one that's like the two D animation Riley we've talked about it on this before the Don Blair Dragon's Lair that's oh, okay. the one yeah 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 we're just left or right yeah we're like my buddy and I we just like. We sat there for probably like two hours trying to beat that game, and it is like impossible. It is so hard to play. But mm -hmm. like, I feel like nowadays, you know, it is much more based on story, which is like video games are much more based on story, which is yeah, great. Right. But there's also this level of easiness that has been like accumulated to it that was not there at all, like in the 80s, where you're just like right. thrown into yeah. it. Well, I also literally. don't think there's any levels anymore. Like that was the, right. the replayability back in the day yeah. was was in in you'd never beat the game. You'd play it a million times over because you'd never get mm. further than level two. Right. But like, because right. um, there are only so many games you can replay a mm. thousand times, uh, like the Simpsons arcade game. Yes. But, um, I played, I played, I beat that game, or X I beat both of those games like nine times and I've spent, <laughs> what, 30 bucks a game or something? You know what I mean? Like how many quarters do you spend? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but, uh, but yeah, that was the replayability and now it's all mm -hmm. multiplayer and it's all... Um, or they make these games in, in like there's there was this essay I read by this guy film critical shouting out I don't know he's just an awesome critic yeah uh, really gets into like um, anyway he did a he did an interview or a review of uh, Red Do Red Dead Redemption two yeah and he, it sort mm -hmm. of talked about how these games are now the whole point is to be ninety hours or a hundred hours mm -hmm. and like at a certain point though it's you're not having fun with it right like a game like Portal or something you can beat in two hours but you can play over and over and over mm -hmm. and like and that's where that is it's like oh it's the replayability but i mean that's also the standard of like oh hey why how, how do you make your game really uh, uh replayable and you're like oh make it amazing right make it look it's beautiful because it doesn't <laughs> like yeah oh that's it just yeah. make it amazing okay exactly oh just make it otherworldly good okay got it great right easy donkey kong doesn't seem like a game that would have that replayability because it's kind of the same thing every time it's not super diverse at least that was my impression of it because it's it's kind of the same thing every time, and so it's crazy to think how they can dump hours and hours and hours into it and not get turned into zombies. I mean, right. it is it is definitely more diverse than this movie in that it has a uh, both a man and a woman. Uh, <laughs> sorry, let's let that's <laughs> cheap shot. Cheap shot. You got the uh, the older lady Doris. who was who was playing. Yeah, Doris. Um, oh yeah, the Cubert. Yeah, Cubert, who died right after. Like, like it's right. Like, it's like, like right. Uh, Arrested or uh, dedicated. What's the to object it? of Cubert? Cubert, mm -hmm. you're jumping around yeah. on cubes. And yeah, you got to like, watch out for these little snakes and like um, other creatures. Yeah, it's like semi 3D. Right. It was later. Okay. It was definitely a later game. Like I feel like it was right. like 86 or something. Riley, as to what you were saying with like arcade games of like the replayability, because even though it's not something where it's like, oh, I didn't get this like secret ob like the special sword and like right. this other room i have to go through and play the whole game again to get to it it's more of like a mm. skill thing i yeah. feel for the um for like these retro arcade games of like oh i like almost got to this point let's see if i can do it again because yeah. like with other games i mean games nowadays you know you have you can save whenever you want and start right. off pick up from wherever right. you want to but back then it's like you know if you die you would have to start from the very beginning yeah, it doesn't matter how far so you got higher. into it right 
exactly and like it does seem like much more of a skill thing whereas like now like video games are kind of like more relaxing and it's just like kind of I mean, it's always meant to be fun, but like, I feel like the '80s it was like this, like challenge as well as like fun of like see if you can do this, right? Because like ninety, right? I guarantee ninety-five percent of Donkey Kong people players have never gotten to the second level, have never played like, and I feel like, and that actually speaking of the movie, like it really is this sort of you can't put it on pause. It becomes mm-hmm. a great deflection or distraction from your life because you know, like, like what, like, we be there are times when they say, like, he's done a f- two and a half hour game or a four hour game and, or, oh my God, I mean, probably the funny, the, the funniest thing in the whole movie is when he's like, dad, wipe my butt. Yeah. <laughs> wipe my butt. And it's like, it's hilarious, but it is so tragic. Yeah. That like, stop playing Donkey Kong. Yeah. Wipe my butt. And you're like, I mean, I, yeah, it's funny, but like, it's also like, dude, you're, you're a dad like go go watch your kid wipe your son's butt come on yeah he's like i can't pause right it's like no that kid's gonna get a rash like this is like (laughs) it's just but yeah i mean but i think it really does encapsulate everything like right and why i mean weeby it's interesting because he's obviously the hero of the story Mm -hmm. and and he's one of the few that we know has like a family but you also then see the cost of that on his family you Mm -hmm. see that you know, I mean, the things his wife says are so tragic. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, he thought he was going to be a Boeing man his entire career. And, in, mm-hmm. like, I'm, you know, from the area, from Seattle. And, like, that is a thing. Like, uh, my grandpa was a Boeing guy. Like, like you really are Boeing engineers and Boeing, like, mechanics. Like, that is your life. You work mm-hmm. there for 30 years. And he's like, oh, he, every time with Weeby, it's like, oh, here's the life you thought you were going to have. And right. then he doesn't have that life. It's like, oh, I thought I was going to be a baseball player. That didn't work out. Oh, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be a musician. I think he had an album come out, like yeah, King of did. Song or something. Yeah, something like yeah, um, King of Song. That's sing, right. of, sing of Song. Sorry, Sing of Song. <laughs> sing of song. <laughs> and um, yeah, and like all these little things, and then this was the thing for him. Yeah. And even when he gets totally screwed over by this like weird tape, he's still really good about like, oh, I, you know, I don't know, something seems a little sketchy, but right. you know, and he, but you can hear his rehearsed, uh, rehearsed vitriol because he yeah. then uses the exact same line later. Right, as like a pithy like throw off, and you're like, no, that's that's the whole argument. Mm-hmm. Don't be passive aggressive mm-hmm. about it. Like, th- <laughs> yeah, it's weird to me that he insisted that it be on, you know, on that I do it live, and then he sends a tape in. You're like, yeah, that's that's literally the point of this hypocrisy. Like, yeah. nail that fifty thousand times, hit that point every single time. Right, because mm-hmm. even like Walter Day by the end is sitting there going like. Yeah, I can't say. I mean, yeah, we like he sends that email and he's like, yeah, I basically am saying that we screwed you over. We're not going to do anything about it because I'd have to say something about that. Right. But, but yeah, it's, it really is this. But you get it because you see how Walter has, and I, you know, he seems like a nice guy. People mm-hmm. re- react well to him. You know, he's in stuff. He, uh, uh, I think it was like what, um, uh, Wreck It Ralph used mm-hmm. his uh, like image to oh. be like. Like the base, that's one of the trivia questions. Called it. It was. I know. Oh, I knew nice. it. I knew. It. I'm just gonna get them all. I'm gonna get them all now. I'm gonna get them all now. Um, but oh uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll act surprised. We'll put it in later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but no, with, he clearly is like a Billy and him had a like. He's Billy is the basis of his business, mm-hmm. and so you understand why he has to keep this. But he's also kind of sitting there like. I mean, I think he retired, like, the next year to focus on his music. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, I understand why. Like, at a certain point, he knows what's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, it took, like, 10, 12 years or something for them finally to say, like, yeah, long after Enough. the documentary. Right. To say, like, oh, yeah, we, you know, uh, like, we didn't know for certain, but mm-hmm. his records definitely don't count. And you're like, right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's 2018, I think, when they finally pulled him. One of the really fascinating things about this documentary is, like, it couldn't get made in the same way nowadays, just in the sense that it wouldn't have as much of an impact. Because I feel like when they released this, like, what, 2004 was whenever this came out? Mm -hmm. and 2007. 2007, okay. There was kind of this... Um, the surprise of like, oh, there's like this whole microcosm in gaming that like no one knew about. Like, oh, it's just a yeah. fun thing we go down to the arcade to. And it's like, whoa, there's like corruption. There's like heroes and villains. Mm -hmm. There's like all of these, like this crazy story that no one would ever think would happen. Right. But nowadays it's because we have like MLG and like competitive gaming yeah. like all over. And it's like incredibly popular. It's like if it came out nowadays, you'd just be like, oh, it's just like, I don't know, following along like the best team, like the best League of Legends team or something or like, right. And it just wouldn't really have as much of an impact. Whereas this, like, even like, I was like, there's like this much conflict in like the mm -hmm. arcade gaming realm. <laughs> like, but what? it's also, it's archaic. Like it, everything in this movie couldn't happen today. And this mm -hmm. was, this is what, 12 years later. And, and none of it could have happened today. Like in terms of like the, the way they record scores, the fact that there's one guy, there's a referee who's clearly biased and he's like, <laughs> I mean, that guy, that guy, I don't remember his name. I, I have it. Uh, Robert uh, Mercek. Oh, yeah. I mean, by the way, this is, I just have to say there's something so funny here where he, he the quote, uh, he was, I don't know if he was fired or he resigned or mm -hmm. something, but now on his website or some website, it says he now dedicates his life to collecting erotic art. And I'm like, that is the <laughs> grossest and yet least surprising My sentence gosh. I've ever read. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. That guy definitely, that's exactly that's what him, I, yeah. Yeah, I actually am surprised he did anything before that. Like, it's sort of like, it's like when, it's like when you hear Michael Jordan played baseball, and you're like, or, or like, uh, or Russell Wilson played baseball too. I mean, right. you know, but yeah, that notion of like, how did he do anything else before that? That's his calling. Right. His calling is very clearly <laughs> top-down, like, role he was meant to play. You know, it's like, it's Al Pacino in The Godfather. It's the right. role he was meant, born to play. Exactly. Erotic art collector. <laughs> Amateur art or erotic art collector. But no, it, it is interesting. I think there's even a quote in there where he said, I have to say, I think there's a conspiracy here. And you're like, yeah. What? Oh. And, he, and, he's like, and he's like, yeah, but I mean the other way. With Mr. Awesome, who is such a creep. Oh my gosh. Creep. Mr. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, what was the thing? That's an interesting... Force woman to, like, or whatever. Like, yeah. like gross. And you're like, it whoa. Was... This guy's one of the heroes. Okay. Disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is so weird. And even just like, I watched like a couple interviews with him afterwards and I was like, this dude is messed up. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. something. Yeah. But it's of an era. Like, it's like this videotape guy. He's like on video. Right. He's like selling videotapes on how to date. And you're like, what world is like? Because exactly, the movie yeah. feels ten years more dated than it is. Not the movie itself, but in terms of the world. The content. That it's yeah, the world yeah. it's depicting because... Um, I mean, yeah, actually, that's the other thing. It's like, it was 82 to 2017, so it was 25 years. Now we're halfway between the distance between Donkey Kong and, mm -hmm. and that movie coming out. But it is interesting that it feels even more dated because it really is based in, like, you know, the 80s. Right. Like, I, they all had rotary phone. No. Right. <laughs> and you can, like, even, it's even kind of uh, relatable to, like, Grey Gardens, I think, in mm. the fact of, like, why it's mm. so enticing of just, like, these people that are living in, like, the modern time, like whenever Great Gardens came out, but are living in like the 30s, mm -hmm. you know, and people who are living in the modern day, but are still living in the 80s. It's just like fascinating to see people out of time and yeah. just, you know, that that is such an engaging thing that they're just like completely on a different mindset and just like, it almost seems like they, 
they don't see a, another world outside of like this world that they're in. Right, right, and they can't imagine that like some. I mean, half of the thing of Weeby is like the fact that he came from the outside. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean that's how he could beat that him because there's no way like any of those guys would allow themselves to beat Billy in that same right. way that Walter is like. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Billy. How could Billy do anything wrong? Even though he knows, like within what he, it's there's such that there's that incredible little moment where he's like, you know, even we. I mean, we didn't look at that carefully because you said you didn't want to put it, the record in, but but right. okay, you want to put the record in now, okay? Yeah. Uh, it was like ten then, minutes after they watched yeah, it or something. Yeah, right? and then like yeah. seven minutes later, it says on the bottom or something. And it's like, oh, let's go yeah. put that score into Twin Galaxies, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, so wow. Fast. So people like Billy and others were part of the, like they themselves were the ones who kind of officiated and reviewed some of those scores and so sometimes billy would be in the position to review someone else's score that's competing against his it's interesting that they didn't like have some kind of a system where they they would avoid that because that's completely conflict of interest conflict of interest yeah but i think it speaks to the whole insular nature of their entire culture like the Mm -hmm. fact that like there it wasn't like there was someone who they were all gamers it's not like anyone was like um you know, I want to be a ref. Like, there, it wasn't enough of a culture to be like, oh, I want to be a referee on the side. This is my job. And Walter Day did. He's the only one. Right. But even he mm-hmm. has to have this tie to Billy because, and it makes sense, Billy is is the brand. Billy yeah. was the name. And so you really have this financial incentive to stick to that. Yeah. Um, which obviously becomes... And yeah, but nowadays there's no way that would happen. There would mm-hmm. be... There is... It wouldn't just be Twin Galaxies either. There'd be 19 right. sites that are yeah. doing it. There are maybe too much information, but it's right. like that. And I feel like the hard thing too about just recording scores and just all of this stuff is like, <laughs> these are the people who I feel like are also like the kind of like more paranoid conspiracy theorists, oh, like yeah. ones who are like super deep into this. They're like, oh, there's no way that they can get up there. Like they, that score is impossible. So we have to go all this digging and like, mm-hmm. it's just like, well, what is like the truth then to these people? Oh, like they show, when they, they like, show up at his house? Oh my like, gosh. What oh, yeah. is that? Yeah. That is insane. That is crazy. Uh, but also I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously I, I think this documentary does such an amazing job of like, being such a streamlined narrative in that way. Mm-hmm. But some of the time I was trying to find edges. I was trying to find like little things where it's, you know, you always see the like fray, documentaries especially, you right. always see the fraying edges of what, like I feel like this movie, I don't know, I didn't read into this, but but it feels to me like this was made as like a, there's a big competition and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of guys and maybe we're going to do a documentary about the reunion right. and the 20 guys and like Doris was definitely going to be a bigger <clears throat> character. Mm-hmm. And then they just stumbled into the story of like, Steve Wiebe and right. like this right. this controversy, but but it's interesting because uh, uh, it, it's really interesting to see because there's that moment where he he gets a board from from Mister Awesome, mm-hmm. and there is something sketchy yeah. about this whole thing. And I'm not saying right. Wiebe's a bad guy or anything, but I just mean like th- there's an unexplored <laughs> element here where it's like okay, well that dude has an agenda. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Wiebe necessarily did something, but like let's. It's worth getting into, right? I mean, maybe. I mean, it's it's a. I mean, it's fast. It's what an hour twenty or something. Yeah, it's so streamlined. Yeah. It's so just like mm-hmm. get in and get out. But it is interesting to see um, what what else could have been on the cutting room floor, right? And that one thing that's fascinating too about this documentary is like almost more than any other documentary I've seen. This is a documentary that's trying to be a feature film. Oh, absolutely. Like, where mm-hmm. other ones, other documentaries, I feel like, okay, we needed to stick with, like, this, like, fly-on-the-wall, like, realistic sort of style or, like, 
not make it like a feature sort of thing, especially with like Grey Gardens of like how the whole revolt of like direct cinema of saying mm-hmm. like documentaries should not be feature films and right. like that it should be as real as it possibly can be and can just be about like nothing except two people talking. Yeah. And this is like quite the opposite where they're like tr- definitely trying to find some sort of story yeah. in there. That oh, they I think, like, fa- I mean, it's, it's structured. Like I was going to just break it down really quick, but, but uh, break it down. Uh, but but it is really funny that like it is such a traditional like it is very clear to me why Seth Gordon uh, immediately became a feature film director why yeah. he immediately became um, you know he didn't do another documentary and it makes perfect sense because right. like movie like I just look broke it down the structure of this movie and it's just like okay here's the background you start with this contrast of Billy and Steve you see immediately like the difference between them and what this means to them. Um, so that when you get into and then you get into the world you get into this niche of the uh, like uh, you see the niche of the whole world but you see also the like um, all the characters you see right. like Billy and all these guys and and set up like there's something here there's a lot of connections and it's an interpersonal world everyone knows each other mm-hmm. even maybe more than they actually do but it does feel very much like this is the world of seven people yeah um, and then. And then, yeah, very quickly, you're like, okay, we got the big event. We're going to Fun Spot. Like, Weeby's broken his record. We're going to go to Fun Spot. They literally use the best around, yeah. which is like, they know the movie they're making. They're yeah. making, like, Ram, they're Ram, Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Last uh, Starfighter. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Right. It's right, Rocky. Like, it is such yeah. a traditional sports, or like, those underdog right. kind of narrative. Yeah. And then, you get the big point. The middle of the movie is the kill screen because right. you're like, oh, look at this. Like he got the Steve show the thing very quickly and immediately. You're like the score. Right. Like you let that lit, but you see very quickly how just how he did this thing. And it's such mm-hmm. a funny thing. And then uh, then you get the redemption because like the villains are winning. You get this notion of like, oh, the villains are winning. They're all going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the Guinness Book of World Records thing happens. So now it's right. like, oh, there's one more chance. There's a second mm-hmm. thing. And I think it was like, what, nine months later? And he yeah. jumps in. Mm-hmm. And then yep. now, and we talked about this off air a little bit, but like it's funny because they did, they tried to do this thing where, where they're like, well, the thing Weeby didn't have last time was uh, was his family. He didn't yeah. have his family there, and and so they tried to build this in where it's like now he's doing it with his family and they're here, and you're like, it doesn't work all that well because it gets into like the thing they did deal with, but like didn't dig into deeply, which is like his family life. Right. Well, I mean, they do, they do a really good job of it, but I think his daughter says. I never knew the Guinness Book of World Records was so important. Some people sort of ruin their lives to be in there. Right. Yeah, and yeah. you're just like, <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> like, the fact yeah. that they got this little girl to say that is so, yeah, un- so unbelievable. Yeah, and then, right, and then he doesn't beat the record but or, right. or achieve and, or doesn't have the face-off. But, like, the anticlimax works for it because because it, it, it it's built into this the second thing, which is, like, but it unveiled this deeper conspiracy, this deeper right. corruption in the whole thing. It shows you, like, Rocky doesn't need to win mm-hmm. uh, in the first one. Yeah, he just um, needs to last it. Yeah, yeah, and and that was really, I thought, was um, just fascinating. Like, they really did it. Right. He he accomplished something with documentary footage that take that is really difficult to do with a scripted narrative. Yeah. So it's incredible to me that he was able to do this with people, like mm-hmm. crafting a narrative out of like what is a very and you know I know I know they tried to make it like a movie yeah and I was kind of like well what's the point right exactly 
in a Broadway musical too. And right, like, which I did watch. I actually went yeah. to a musical oh, really? a couple years ago. It's, no way. it's pretty funny. Really? What uh, was that like? <laughs> well, I didn't see it as a mu- like uh, on. It was really it was like a black box theater. It was really small. Mm. It was like L.A. L.A. Uh, comedy fest or something, and uh, or play. There's a festival they do. I don't remember the name of it, but um, but it was really funny to watch because it really just showed highlighted again like. <laughs> It actually worked. It didn't work as nearly as well because mm. you're, you know, it's a subsection of a, su- it's a subculture of a subculture of a subculture. Right. You kind of have to know that narrative to go in. You don't, but you, you're not going to see the King of Con musical if you haven't watched the documentary or understand what exactly. it is. <laughs> um, and and it was interesting because you really just realize like the, you don't need actors. You don't need, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, whatever Owen Wilson and and. Probably you know Peter Dinklage to play right. to play Billy. You don't need that. You can do it. It's right there. Exactly. It's all right there. And and it, it I think it just speaks to like, it's the most accessible documentary I've ever seen. Right. Um, yeah. In so many ways, like it's yeah. just a fun story. It's happy. It's mm-hmm. even despite all that. Right. And Riley, like I mean, how do you see it as like comparative to other documentaries that we've watched, or like even just kind of like fitting into the series? Well. What stood what stood out to me most about it was just the way that it felt, because like I said earlier, it was it kind of felt like reality TV to me, in in some especially like with the phone call and the phone call to Billy and and like they got a shot of Billy sitting on his couch, you know, talking on the phone, and it just felt very much like I don't know something out of The Apprentice or something, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, it just felt very real to me and the just the way that they they shot it um but i think it was very it almost felt like the characters were caricatures sort of um and it almost felt like walter day is kind of a he's he's just a character just i mean and maybe that's just because he always dresses in the referee outfit and the you know he has the the mustache from the 80s but then i think he has a beard now transcendental Um, meditation and mm -hmm. it's just like who is this guy? You know, when he was playing the guitar, I was oh going to tell gosh. Connor it's so funny. Oh because, yeah, because when he was playing the guitar in front of this barn out in the woods, like that actually looked like this barn we used in True Detective to yeah. like have the like the cops like out in the middle of the woods like beating beating a guy like like that was the whole point. He was like that was their way of like taking <laughs> him out of the woods, and I was like, that looks like that barn. This is his murder barn. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> like this is. Uh, yeah, they, I mean that's the documentary. It's actually a secret documentary about his mur- the, his murder spree. It's the night and day of Walter right. Day, All right. and it's yeah, that's that's what they didn't tell you. They flattened the characters a little bit. They didn't yeah. talk about how he's a serial murderer. I thought that um, they played to their character. They it just seemed like they were playing characters almost. Man, Steve Weeby just seems like the nicest guy. Like he's kind of a. a do you think he looks like Robert Murray at all? That was the thought that I had. <laughs> he totally does. <laughs> he totally does. It's a shout out to our. Uh, youth group leader from high school but um is it steve yeah. weeby he, it is steve weeby he, he, that's his that's his ninth job yeah his five <laughs> jobs he moved to arkansas after yeah. this and... that's right <laughs> yeah he's still teaching um, like i showed i showed connor this but like right. there was like six months ago on, on reddit someone posted speaking of toxic communities uh <laughs> he was like we're getting we are getting doxxed i'm sorry yeah. like this is this is gonna be the most doxxed <laughs> podcast uh uh we're gonna get swatted um <laughs> But uh, it was fascinating to, he's still teaching, and there was someone who was like, oh, I, I don't know who he is, but, uh, but he said Reddit would like me, and posted this picture of him still teaching, mm-hmm. and it like, got like huge upvotes. But also it was like, I, I, then now I think about Weeby, like it is this kind of thing where he's like, yeah, the internet will love me, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. buddy. Yeah. 
bleak. It's like the yeah. the woman who uh, created the design for Jar Jar Binks. If you've ever seen the interview of that, whenever they're like asking her about it, and yeah. she's like, "Yeah, we know a lot of people didn't really like him, but but the kids liked him, and that's what really matters, <laughs> yeah. right?" Is that like the it's like the millennials thing where like oh millennials is if they're like not thirty years old like like oh the kids really liked like you mean so they were what kids when they were ten when that movie came out so right. so now they're thirty yeah like yeah they're thirty right they're like yeah they're all twenty nine thirties it's like oh yeah you want to t- interview them now about drug yeah. things <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> this is such a digression but. But uh, I do gotta, I have to say, like, it is so funny because it, clearly Seth Gordon should go make big box comedies. Like, it's so perfect for his humor in terms of, like, tying things together. But, mm. but there's this one line where, um, and I just watched uh, uh, this documentary, Frat House, I think it's called, mm. and it's Todd Phillips's, it was, like, banned. It was supposed to air on HBO, and then they were like, well, you filmed, you faked a lot of the footage. They mm. claimed he faked a lot of the footage. Okay. Um, and, and what's interesting is he, he becomes a character in the podcast, or, mm. the, sorry, in the documentary. And, and it's funny because the one moment where Seth does that mm-hmm. is, and I get why you have to keep it in because otherwise they didn't, they did a really good job of not really, there's a heavy narrative hand, but they never, they're never on screen. You never really hear them talking. Right. Except there is, the two moments are like, oh, the Guinness book thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment where he's, <laughs> where he goes, uh, well, you know, if you want to know what my three letters are in my, my high score, just look at me. And he's tied yeah. oh, yeah. he goes, yeah. T-I-E. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's so clear he's the USA, but he like couldn't help himself but to say right uh, T I E, which is like made uh, to me the laugh out loud line of the entire That's movie. Right. That, that was great. Oh yeah. my goodness! Um, yeah, total digression. Yeah. Which I actually haven't seen any of his other movies that he's yeah. done. Like I haven't seen Horrible Bosses or Baywatch or I've seen Identity Thief. I've seen yeah. that. Oh, one. Yeah. Um, well, I think it, I yeah. think I mean just on a bigger. I, I don't know. It's interesting to me because like when you look at like. Um, I'm telling Connor this, but it's funny because when you look at how movie, like documentaries are kind of made the same way big box comedies are, mm-hmm. which are you have a lot of writers. And, you know, I mean, in Hollywood, they always say, oh, there were five writers on it. And you're like, yeah, Airplane had five, right? Like, mm-hmm. sometimes movies like that just take, like, you can hide writers, but there's always going to be 20 more writers on a movie than you think. Mm-hmm. Like, same with documentaries, just a thousand more, you know, assistant editors. Right. It, it's... It, I mean, I'm sure you guys get into auteur theory a lot, but to me, like, auteur theory in a lot of ways is is sort of bogus because it mm-hmm. really you can that can be the guiding hand who has to keep everything in mind mm-hmm. but but there is a collaboration there are a bunch of things right and the role of seth or, or a director especially in a movie that has 15 writers mm-hmm. is to take all the pieces and make them feel of a whole right to take a joke from this one take a joke from this one and your job as the director of like a movie like that is really to keep everything in a place and be like, this fits this tone. This is this movie. This isn't this movie, and especially how he did it, like such an in such a streamlined way here, mm-hmm. which was a. Uh, I'm not saying other other documentaries. Sometimes that's the point, you know. Right. This was his intention, but but it is interesting because you really do understand like, oh, this is his movie. Like yeah. you, every joke that is in these things, and it takes such a, especially those movies that are like three hundred million dollars. They yeah. really do take. Hmm. And it makes sense to me why he he has such a clear sense of his tone, why he can go from there and do, because now he does a lot of TV. He does a lot of like, right. TV drama pilots mm-hmm. where you're setting the tone for what's going to be 100 episodes. Exactly. And he and he really can transition really nicely into like, this is what I do. This is, you know, this is right. what this show is going to be. And knowing very quickly, like, this is this show mm-hmm. or this is this movie. Right. And I think he did that here. Um, 
in a way where you don't really feel the strings. It's not like you're like, well, where did that go? Or where did that character go? Other than exactly. maybe Doris, but her, she plays a huge role too. In yeah. in the, um, you can't cut her out because she plays that amazing, that role of like here, uh, you can lose your luggage, you can lose your life, but you can't oh, lose yeah, this lose tape. tape. Yeah. <sighs> Which was crazy. Amazing. Yeah. Or also like Mr. Awesome, because he's really only in the beginning of yeah. it, and then he's just like gone. Right. You know? Like, right. But he's the patron saint. He's the guy who gives right. him the... The patron, I don't know, jerk. He, he, well, he's the patron, right? Like he, yeah. he's the guy. He's the guy who gives him the money, right? He's exactly. His, he, right? He was Patreon, Patreon of that era, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and um, even like I love the call whenever he's like, "Hey, yeah, uh, Steve Weeby's like, I need you to do one more thing for me. Uh, I just can't be associated with you right now. Like Billy's just like getting all this bad press, and I just really need to do this part without you. Just I, I need to do it myself. Like it makes me wonder if how much he knew about him, like. Uh, right, that's you wonder. There's that feels like yeah, a thread that is not much. Yeah, it's like how much did he know this guy's a little sketchier? How much mm-hmm. did he know about uh, his intent? You know, if he had ill ill intentions or a, right, you know, whatever. As as uh, as that as the our amateur porn co- or am, sorry erotic art collector uh, <laughs> mentioned, um, he's like you know there could be gunk on the board and the gunk could change the whole game. And right, I believe, and it's probably true. Oh uh, yeah. Um, you know, or maybe an emulator, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and what was Mr. Awesome, or Captain Awesome, his claim to fame was his score in... Uh, Missile Command. Missile Command. Yeah. That, that, right? that Which tracks. was an unrecognized score. They didn't officially recognize it. I don't know. I think, I thought Guinness, like, recognized it or something. But, he, like... He did say that Billy and them had, had screwed him over and, and screwed right. him out of his score and didn't recognize mm-hmm. him as a... Right, and even in, the legitimate like, missile commander. Yeah, in interviews afterwards with him, he's when they ask him like about like King of Kong, he's like, "Oh, well, that stuff doesn't matter because like missile command, that's a man's game. Like, you know, there's just like <laughs> all this sort of stuff in it. Like, there's a bunch of like phallic imagery and like it's very oh, manly. But like, you know, Pac Man and Donkey Kong, that those are girly games. Those don't really matter. But like missile command, that's the only game that matters. And you're just like, God, okay." <sighs> sure. Yeah. Well, now I want to read. That's funny. That it is phallic. I want. To, I want to read something about Yon. Like I want to read uh, the the Yonic uh, <laughs> symbolic. The, yeah. Pac-Man. Yeah. The symbolic. Probably Mrs. Pac-Man. But, uh, um, actually, no. Maybe Pac-Man. Maybe that's what makes it more interesting. Is like Mrs. Pac-Man made it uh, textual. Right. It was like the subtext of the original Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Is like a lot of these game designers absolutely thought about these things. Like if right. you read interviews with these guys, like it's not just. Uh, uh, Kojima is that the yeah, guy Yo Kojima? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not just him who does these things. Like people who are creating, like Mrs. Pac-Man, were like, "Well, you know, it's actually right. a subversion of the narrative." You're like, I, "I actually believe them." Right, and it's like interesting to see like other other parts of like arcade games because I feel like this is like a big foray into sex cells, like imagery of like selling video games of like having stuff like Gauntlet, where the box of it there's like all these like scantily clad women and like guys are like, "Yeah, I want to play that," you know, and you just like look at it and it's like. It's like 8-bit, you know, like, you know, that's, but just like how much of that kind of like bleeds over into some of the culture of like, you know, Mr. Awesome of just like this hedonistic jerk who's just like so obsessed with like, oh yeah, you know, like arcade games are manly and that's what it takes to prove you're a man and just like this weird kind of... But, but he's right. And that's, and that's kind of the point. That is that is what it takes. Yeah, it is what it takes. You, you have to get the highest score in Donkey Kong. Otherwise to be you're not the a man. king of Kong. Right. No, Donkey Kong. No, no. Or Donkey Missile Kong. Command. Sorry. Missile I, Command. I, I, can't, I can't believe I mixed that up. But just, 
Like he's so gross. There's he's that, disgusting. Uh, yeah. When he has like we hired that model to do like, the. Oh, ooh, oh yeah. It's oh, that was so gross. At first, I thought like he just like photoshopped his like head onto it, but it was like, oh yeah. no, that was like real because I was like, he's not muscular, and then it like cuts to like a like a wide shot of him. I'm like, wait, he's like ripped. What? <laughs> he kind of looks like the. Um, Rob Liefeld, like, Captain America art. Oh, yeah. where, have you ever seen this? Where it's just, like, one big muscle and he's got this, like, enormous chest that, like, <laughs> yeah. would be a glandular issue. Like, it's not real. <laughs> and that's what this guy looks like. He looks like it's bad like... Rob Liefeld art. Right. Well, I feel like him and Billy Mitchell both are real-life entities of um, Tom Cruise's character in Magnolia. Mm. <laughs> I totally see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Billy Mitchell kind of has like a bit more of like the well, he was that definitely. I mean, Mister Master Awesome absolutely was that. Like he, what's yeah? It's like the respect that you know. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Same thing with like if you want to get some righteous poon or whatever that line is. (laughs) You're like this is so disgusting. Like this. I've never seen Magnolia actually. Oh, so what's his? Oh, he so he's just, it's, it's very horrible. much like that. It's like the, like, you know, that, what was that? Neil He's Strauss, like hosting Neil the Strauss, seminar. Is that the guy's name? The, the what? The, the guy who did the game or the, the player's game or something. Like oh. the, whatever, there was, there was that really gross, like, oh, you, you neg women to, like, yeah. to like you. And this guy's very much of that. So Tom Cruise's character is very much that, like. Yeah, like, okay. master your woman, yeah. like, this very mm. disgusting approach to and like with like these hired women he's like if you do these five steps any woman will fall in love with you and like it's mm. yeah just it's horrible um yeah. but yeah i mean he what's the movie where tom cruise plays the oh tropic thunder oh my gosh he plays like <laughs> yeah the, like he really could the producer. Mean, tom cruise is, yeah he's one of those guys who actually is like secretly really funny like yeah. he's a really funny actor and um and I think that would be like him as Billy Mitchell would be like amazing. Yeah, like that. Actually, now that I think about it, like that's the version I want to see of this movie. Is like, right. We do it with him. I mean, I honestly at this point it feels. I don't think it's true a lot. Like a lot of movies get made like twenty years down the line, mm-hmm. like Sonic the Hedgehog, but um, or even like, twenty one years down the line now. Right. But um, this does feel outdated. Like right. it doesn't feel like you can make it now. It doesn't. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. does feel like. Uh, bygone, and that's mm-hmm. okay because that's that's the point of the documentary is to make a, show this world. But but right. yeah, if they were gonna make it, it really does feel like you want like a, I don't know, like yeah. you know Tom Cruise I could even, and, or like Rob Corddry or something like that. You know, but yeah, I, just for you, Andrew, just um, how do you think like this whole process of like documentary and like even um, and this isn't something we haven't really digressed into much, Riley, but of. Um, how for documentaries the editors almost become like the writers of it the editors and like the directors you know yeah oh absolutely I mean I think that and I think actually a lot of the time editors do like uh, we've talked about this a little bit but like how uh, one of the assistant editors was this guy Clay Tweel mm-hmm. who has since become gone on to become a huge documentarian himself he did this documentary right. called Finders Keepers uh, which is hilarious if you guys haven't seen it it's like about the the custody battle of a guy for a guy's uh prosthetic leg mm-hmm. after it's like left in a grill at a at a yard sale right um it's really it's so funny and then um and they did he did another documentary called gleason which is about uh uh they uh, uh, uh new orleans saints player who had als right and um which shows you his range, but but and he and that's actually another thing. The first documentary he did was this one, this uh, about magic, about like a teenage magic camp, hmm. and it very much follows the same um, uh, sort of tradition of like of how to structure this kind of movie, right. and that's much more of a of a tournament based. Um, but but no, I, I think absolute 
the editor in the editor the director mm-hmm. especially in documentaries is that's that's the whole thing you know you're just grabbing whatever thousands of hours of footage. I feel like when it's documentary the lines just really get pretty blurred mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's just kind of you're the filmmaker right if you're doing all this all of the things um and so i feel like yeah they it's a blurred line it ceases to be hard yeah do you relate to it in any way in like your film pursuits like in yeah. your career and just how does this like resonate with you well it's interesting because i you know a, a lot of the stuff i work on uh, even comedy even whatever you know you always have to sort of do the research you have to know the world and you have to be the foremost expert on it and i think that's true of any filmmaker like you know, I think I think it's something like uh, I don't know if it was J.J. Abrams or someone. You know, says go to film school mm-hmm. or don't go to film school. I mean, I think all of us went to film school, but uh, <laughs> uh, but no, don't go to film school. Go to school about to learn the things you want to tell stories about. Mm-hmm. And I think that really is a part of filmmaking that because filmmaking is such a personal endeavor, it's such a you really have to you can't fake it, right? you have to know your world better than anyone and you do the research and you do those things and for me like there's a project i'm working on right now that is that is uh, you know everything was documented on tv everything has been there i have hundreds of hours of footage and and it is a que- it really is a question of like i don't even consider the draft of the script to be the work i think i think it's like no i've put it all down on paper i have one narrative con- that i've constructed put it all down on paper and what i'm going to do from there is just cull you know very much like how an editor in this like like i'm sure they had a narrative you always have a narrative in mind and mm-hmm. i think that's really kind of the toughest part of me i don't know i've never made a documentary but but feels like the toughest part is is knowing the story you're telling and keeping that in your head you're not just filming five thousand hours of footage just to have you are filming five thousand hours of selective footage and then you are parsing it down to an hour 20 or 90 minutes or I mean most documentaries I don't think really pass the 90 minute mark mostly yeah. uh, unless you know with, that's if you're with Martin some, Scorsese right 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 some except some huge exceptions um, and great ones too I mean oh, yeah. um, oh, what's the one that's George Harrison no um, Penelope Spheris' series uh, uh, oh. Decline of Western Civilizations parts right. 1, 2, and 3 they're all two hours long mm-hmm. and they're it's six hours of these documentaries or like the Eagles documentary that's like right. four hours or five hours or Hoop Dreams Hoop or... Dreams yeah uh, uh, mm-hmm. um, what was the longest I've watched oh Lake of Fire is like four hours mm-hmm. um, that's a rough movie to watch yeah. um, that's Campion right or... no no that's Top of the Lake yeah top, right. that's Top of the Lake uh, Lake of Fire <laughs> is um, the director of American History X uh, right, it's, it's all about the the abortion debate, and it's this four hour, like both sides, like trying to tell both stories, trying to give everything mm-hmm. equal weight, and it is. But that's what I mean. Like you tell these stories, you're telling stories to uh, get them down. And there's no way he, right. it's not like you get an hour and a half of footage. You got yeah, I don't know how much footage, but you followed. They follow. You know, there is a movie in all of these people. He right. definitely followed Brian Koo around. Oh yeah. For hundreds mm-hmm. of hours, he followed Billy Mitchell around, and I think that's kind of the point of Docs is is uh, is is you're picking the narrative that is the most that you want to tell the most here, but at the same time you are filming everyone from the pers- perspective that they're the star of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's no way Billy doesn't think he's the star when he's giving them that access, or you know, there's a there's a heavy amount of uh, delusion in these things, but there's also the sense that. In real life, everyone is the hero of their own story, mm-hmm. and and they're picking, and you have to pick the narrative that you're telling. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so I don't know. For me, it's it really is just learning the knowing the story you're going to tell mm-hmm. and using whatever tools you have to to tell that story. Right. I was just going to bring it back to Great Gardens because that kind of makes me think of that because they just shot a bunch of footage, and I don't know if they really had a specific narrative in mind, but you know they ended up releasing another documentary in the 2000s just based off the same uh, footage they had originally shot. It just called the Beals of Great Gardens, right? And uh, so they had all the footage and they, they saw another story or or maybe not another story, but, you know, they saw different aspects of their life and like, oh, we're going to watch how uh, little Edie relates to the outside world a little bit by her going to church, you know? And so I think and then maybe that made me think of Great Gardens in that sense because... They just had a bunch of footage. I can't remember how many they had total, but they were in, they were able to tell several stories with it, or several to. And getting the shot, I think, like we mm-hmm. like like the fact that there are these shots in this that like you really only could get once. You have to mm-hmm. get that shot of Billy Mitchell behind him going like, oh, I don't really associate with certain people here. And you're like, right, mm-hmm. you need that shot in the movie, or or um, uh, you know, there's just so many of those great little shots that no, you couldn't duplicate. It can't. Mm-hmm. That's the power of the entire documentary. And you sit there and you work on these things for three, four years, and it's like you miss one second of footage, and you're out. Like, yeah. and that's you better have that camera on, right? And as much as you yeah. try and construct that situations to create drama, not not in like a reality. I mean, not in a uh, Laguna Beach way, but mm-hmm. or the hills or whatever. But but in that way of like you kind of understand. There's going to be an event. You need to have your cameras, and you need to be ready, and you have to have... It needs to feel seamless. It yeah. can't feel like... Mm-hmm. You, you can't f- push yourself into the narrative too much. Right. And I think one of the brilliant parts of this documentary is even just like the journey of it, where at first you're like, you have no idea what the, the plot is going to be, because it starts off like with these pictures of these guys in the 80s, and then um, what's um, Billy's friend's name, who he like... Who was like Steve. one of the competitors? Was his name also Steve? Steve, Steven, yeah, even like Steven. And well, it's, it's, like, it's the same. I can't remember his name, but it's it's Ian Ziering's character on uh, on Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Steve Schmidt or something. It's the right. exact same name as him. And I was right. la- I just laughed. I don't remember what something Steve, like that. Steve Steve. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Steve Snyder, Steve something, something like that. Yeah, but <laughs> and where it's like, oh yeah, you know. I, you know, lied about being in there and then Billy just like dethroned me and then like Ben and I were like best friends and I help him out and you're like, okay, so it's going to be this weird relationship between this really cocky guy and this guy who becomes like a lawyer and then it's like moves on to um, like some of the other characters and you see like it kind of just like almost aimlessly wandering about and you're like, what is this about? And then all of a sudden, as soon as there's the thing with Billy and Steve, you're just like, that's it, you know, and it's like, it's like almost the documentarian saying like, oh, like the light bulb moment. We're going into this. Right. But I don't think there's a moment of wasted footage. Like mm-hmm. I think if you watch from the beginning, like he knows there's no meandering. It might feel like it for a second. Right. But there's never, I think the first shot of the movie is, is Weeby. I think he knows, like he oh, knew, right. I just mean he knows from second one what, uh, I really don't believe there's a moment of wasted footage. I think mm-hmm. he knows exactly what story he's telling and every right. single character that's in it like plays into the conspiracy into the ending into setting up the world that he's about to take down yeah and one of the other documentaries that like this really reminds me of is spellbound which Mm -hmm. i don't know if either of you have seen but it's about you know these kids in like the national spelling bee and just kind of their obsession with it and like for some of the some of the kids it's like this is like their life goal that they have right now like this is all they do you just see like 
you know, shots of them like in their room with like 10 dictionaries like surrounding them, like just flipping through the pages. And then there are other ones where you can definitely tell it's like the parents who are like, you're going to do this and you're going to win. And so that kind of like the drama of like obsessiveness where you're like, oh, I didn't know there was like, it was this intense, yeah. you know? And Well, I think also that's a great, that's a perfect example because like both of these documentaries, I feel like really did launch a certain, I'm sure there are others before this, but in in the, in the whatever, second golden age of docs or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, like this period since like Michael Moore, like has just been like, where they really make them, you can be funnier and you can play with a lot of different paints, but Spellbound is, and this I think are absolutely both, they've inspired a lot of great documentaries and I think especially the tournament style, that narrative, mm-hmm. but it's, I don't think it's a, a secret, or I don't think it's a coincidence that like Jeff Blitz, who directed that, yeah. has now gone and made, become a great comedy director. Mm-hmm. I mean his movie, if you, if you haven't seen it, Rocket Science is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's the debut of now she's in camp also, but it really is the like coming out of Anna Kendrick. Okay. Um, and and she's aw- she's amazing in it. And then he did this show that I think is probably maybe maybe the. I'm gonna go pretty far here, but I I might think the best comedy written in the last uh, maybe 20 years is this hmm. show called Review, and it's based on an Australian show, and and the whole premise and it's Andy Daly. And it was on Comedy Central for three three little seasons, but the entire premise is it's a show, and it's like st- structured as a it's a fictionalized, but it's structured as a show about a a host who tries things and reviews life experiences. But the reason why it's brilliant is because the offense are cumulative. So like there will be an episode where someone's like, hey, you know, I've really been like, there's a great episode. The maybe the turning point of the series is this episode called Divorce Pan or Pancakes Divorce Pancakes. And, and, and cause they are always named after the things and it's like, Hey, uh, what would it be like to try to eat 20 pancakes? And he's like, Oh, um, let's find out. And he goes to this yeah, and he goes and eats 20 pancakes and he's like dying cause he's eating 20 pancakes. He's like that might've been the worst, that might've been the worst experience I've ever had. Like that's awful. This is, that is the low moment of this show. Um, and then he goes back in the studio and he's like kind of recovered but a little messed up. And then the next guest goes, hey, uh, I just wanted to talk to you because, you know, my wife and I have had troubles, but like mostly we're a really happy marriage. But I've always wondered, like, what would it be like to get divorced? And so he like divorces <laughs> his wife. Oh my God. <laughs> for the gosh. show. It's so dark. But it's this, obse- this guy's obsession with like doing the right show. And then so he gets divorced and it's like this horrible, like, just oh. bleak, like that episode of The Office. It's like, it really feels like a... Um, uh, uh, what's that movie? Uh, like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Oh like, it's just gosh. that level of just like dark, Jeez. depressing. And then the third one, he comes in and he's like, "And I'm and I've ruined my life for this show, but we persevere. What's the next? You know, what's the next challenge? Uh, hey, uh, just wondering, what would it be like to eat thirty pancakes? And <laughs> 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 the end of the episode, he he does it and he goes, and and I I, I give eating thirty pancakes five stars. Because I faced because because I am truly dead inside, and this oh is the proof gosh. that nothing can phase me. And it's this like horribly oh bleak, dark show. Jeez. But but it's all about the human condition in this really right. dark way. But like it shows you Jeff Blitz and like Steph Gordon. It's it is about the study of the human condition, and like they know how to find these specificities and right. comedic moments within total darkness to be like. You know, and that's sorry, total digression. But yeah. but it, I think it speaks to like the control of these filmmakers and their their ability to balance tone because they're like, listen, I'm I gotta I gotta write this thing. I gotta write yeah. down a script where I construct it. Great, that's way easier than shooting five million hours of footage and hoping I got the four seconds you need to tell the whole story. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Right. We're even kind of digging into like the story of it. Like yeah. just kind of want to break down like the controversy surrounding this film as well. Like Riley, I don't know if you've read into that at all, but just like, I mean, lots of accusations from people saying like they totally like fabricated like some of the statistics. Like one of the things mm-hmm. I heard was um, that way before Steve Weeby's score came in, like Billy Mitchell wasn't even the top. Like mm-hmm. he didn't even have the high score. There was another guy who had like the highest score at the time. And so Billy Mitchell wasn't even at the top. And so like that they kind of just like pressed in and like accentuated like Billy's like arrogance or like some of the actions that he did or like I mean Billy is Billy. Like I know I can see why someone like Billy would be like, Oh, that's that's nothing like who I am and you're like Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it is like yeah. yeah. T I E. Um, right. <laughs> no, no. USA. <laughs> So yeah, I did wonder how much of it was uh, falsified or skewed, definitely. Um, but yeah, I did know that someone else had, had the record. I think it was maybe in 1999 or something, or close to 2000 when someone else broke it. But um, that was a question on my mind, was how different uh, were they? But they portrayed it, it. They made it seem like Billy really did not care about Steve at all. I think it was one of the last shots when that other guy, Steven, whatever guy, the one that uh, be- became friends with Billy. He was like he was like comment who's uh, complimenting Steve and just his character. And then, and then the interviewer asked Billy, "It's like, so what do you think about that?" And he's like, "I'm not close enough to the situation. I don't know." I'm like, "Oh my gosh." He's like, oh yeah, does he, does Steve seem like a nice guy or something yeah. like that? And like, yeah, something and like the that. other Steve was like, yeah, oh definitely, like he seems like he's really honest and really true. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, come on. So yeah, part of me wonders like how much of that was was that really in, true or like maybe they presented that incorrectly. I don't know, but it seems like he's pretty arrogant and a terrible person. Or even just like the the structure of the film does it seem because there are definite parts that I feel like are a little bit like accentuated mm-hmm. or like where they you know definitely mash some stuff up, which like all documentaries do, of yeah. just like to try to you know, cut like a little line out or like it, it as long as it's telling I mean, I don't know if this is always true, but it feels it but it feels true. Uh no. Um but but it's the idea of as long as it yeah, honestly, if it feels like the true story, if it if it simplifies this idea, and I don't mean you need to there is obviously a, an importance to telling to to getting it right in a documentary in something right. that purports to be uh real mm-hmm. document the footage but um but also at the same time like it 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 needs to be emotionally true right mostly Mm. like i think that's the most important thing for something for this kind of story Mm -hmm. if it's a real if it's a bigger story if it's an expose yeah maybe but but yeah the other guy being having the uh, the record doesn't change the 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 inherent you know corruption Mm mm-hmm or what Steve Weeby was facing. But this is something that we've kind of been talking about with each of our documentaries in, like, the series of, you know, how much should we hold, like, the documentarians to tell the truth and mm-hmm. to not be skewed? Because, like, I mean, it's a very difficult question whenever you're addressing, like, a Michael Moore film because that is right. very much from, like, his point of view. Like, yeah. he's like, I'm just going to tell it the way I want to tell it, you know? And, like, for lesser-known documentarians who are making stuff... I feel like most people, whenever they watch a documentary, say like, okay, that's true because yep. it's right there and because it's, it's recorded. But, you know, like, should we really always accept that a documentary has like, it's like all true because like there's got to be skewed stuff. No, I mean, it's a really slippery slope, but, but it is that notion of like, 
no one in this day and age in a world this is actually a great lesson of this movie but it's like in a world that we live in now with the internet with no one should expect one source to ever be there are a million ver- like there are a million the truth always lies somewhere in the middle always and it, it feels like especially a story like this like if you're watching a documentary to learn about a subject, learn about it, but then use that information to go somewhere else. It, right. The great point of documentaries is to give you an insight into a world, but it can't give you the full picture. Right. Well, even like TV series, like like biopics or like with mm-hmm. Chernobyl being so big right now and like all these people watching it who are like, oh yeah, I'm an expert on Chernobyl now because I watched the, the yeah. TV show. It's like, <laughs> oh, like... It's a story, you yeah. know, like there's truth in it, but it's yeah. a story. And like, same right. there's a high level. Of, there's a, yeah, they I think I'd argue like Mason, Craig Mason, who actually wrote Identity Thief mm-hmm. also did a great job of, 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 you know, getting, you know, of, of doing the research and all these things. But at the same time, yes, at the end of the day, the goal is narrative. Mm-hmm. The goal isn't now, now when the goal is to inform, you absolutely have a, right. a responsibility to tell the biggest, right? And I think that's still true of documentary. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. the hardest part because a documentary is that footage. But, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's like you're still always trying to prove a point. You're always mm-hmm. trying to prove your theme, and and that's that's why you should look at, uh, you know, Billy Mitchell's side. You mm-hmm. should look at, I mean, as much as you don't want to, but like you <laughs> should look at what what else is going on in Steve Weeby's life. You should learn about these other things in all yeah. documentaries you watch. But that said, there should there is a responsibility not to outright lie. I agree. I, I think about uh, interviews on the street where someone goes out and say, hey, "Can you name, you know, five U.S. states or something?" And then they they just show person after person failing to do so. But then that's because they didn't. They just chose not to show you all the other ones that were able to do it. So it's like, yeah, I've I've learned to go into documentaries kind of accepting like, hey, I'm, they're curating something for me to take in. They made choices about what to include and what not to include. So I. I, for me, I've always, for the most part, I've always been able to go into a documentary like that. So I don't always 100% believe or believe that they're presenting it in 100% true form. But yeah, I think you need to go in accepting that uh, there might be some other aspects of the story that are that were hidden or that were left out for a certain reason. And uh, the doc, like you say, Andrew, the documentary should prompt you to find out more, to look, to find more resources, and go. Um, go seek more of it out. Um, don't let one source be your end-all, be-all of information, and where you where you base your stance. You know, it should be should be wide. Yeah, which I'm just gonna say, throw it out there. Anytime like a documentary or anything cuts to like street or street interviews like that, never take it seriously because yeah. it is just yeah. like that is the most doctored <laughs> thing you could ever see. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many like posts on Facebook I've seen of friends saying like I can't believe America's like this look at this or like shocking like this group is actually horrible and like yeah. look at this and just like it's, it's to just be fair with America I, I absolutely believe America it, 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 there's always a pocket somewhere that can be as terrible as you expect it to be oh like, yeah it is like, <laughs> exactly uh, or, or you know yeah. anything. but you're absolutely right like right. it is like they're, like especially like when like Jimmy Kimmel does it or whatever it's like oh my gosh those yeah. are it's a comedy bit it is supposed yeah. to like and sometimes they even ask the questions in weird ways to get better footage mm-hmm. uh you know that's the comedic point. But that said, my favorite documentary of the last hundred years is is probably Conan O'Brien visits the old timey baseball uh, game. 
It's a great documentary. <laughs> um, no, it, 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 if you guys haven't seen it, it is, it is maybe the greatest, uh, one of the greatest late, bit, late night bits of all time. He visits, <laughs> like, Conan being Conan, like, goes on the street and visits, right. like, a, a, an old-fashioned baseball game, and it is... Uh, Gold, that's like amazing. he. But that's pretty funny. He talks. To everyone's like, "Oh, was everyone here a farmer?" And it's like, "No, I'm I'm the wife of a farmer." Okay, farmer, farmer, a lot of farmers. And then like a up that he like checks like the referee's pocket, and the referee has like a, a, a like a like a what's it called like a granola bar. <laughs> so he's like, "Oh, is this is this old? Is this what is this what you need in the 1800s? You need a granola bar?" Okay, and then like. I, like a plane flies over and he's like, what ho? What is this medical, or med, uh, what is this mechanical monstrosity? It's a demon. Tis a demon. And it's unbelievable. So that's a great that's documentary amazing. you should all check out. Yeah. Maybe is, that'll be the fifth okay. one. Yeah. Is, um, is it in Super Size Me where they like go around on the street and they're like, can you say the Pledge of Allegiance? And people are like, no, no, no. Oh, well, what's the song to the, the Big Mac song? And they're like, oh, well, like, yeah. is that in Super yeah. Size Let Me? Let me sing it for you. Or, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, because I remember watching that. I was like, that's like the most, I, I don't know. It's just like, I hate that sort of stuff, the very polarizing thing where it's like, mm -hmm. they're obviously not telling the truth. They're taking a percentage of it. They're not right. like, okay, show yes. me like all 100 interviews you did and like yeah. the statistics of that. But, you know. But I think there is also something about going in with your eyes. Like that is true. It's like you really have to do the research because a lot of it's hidden in the presentation. But like, like uh, I can't think, Morgan, Morgan Spurlock. Mm. Um, went in with an intention, and right. that movie is so heavy-handed in terms of like same with Michael Moore. Like he's very he's based in this one kind of filmmaking, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But just address your biases up front, right? And especially that movie, he goes in with the intention of like imagine if it had happened like, oh man, yeah, I went in and I ate Burger King for thirty days or whatever McDonald's for thirty days, and like nothing happened. You're like, guess what? You don't have a documentary. He needed that to happen, so right. he's going to have his whole thing, and that's right. where. You maybe have to question, like, McDonald's cares about us, okay? They want us. They need us to live so they can take yeah. our money from us. Exactly. <laughs> well, even just given, like, a fa uh, fast forward to, like, this documentary, too, like, there's a pretty recent, like, story to this of just, like, how it was just last year that Billy Mitchell's scores were, like, thrown out where oh, yeah. they, like, caught him cheating and, like, mm -hmm. totally disowned him from, like, everything that he's done and all that and just, like... It's been interesting seeing the response of that. Like, I watched this interview of Billy Mitchell where he talks about, like, it's like an hour, hour-long interview of him just kind of going on. And he's supposed to be, like, questioned the entire time. But, like, he, he literally just talks the entire time yeah. about, like, you can tell he had, like, all of this up in his head. And, like, a lot of it is just, like, what are you talking about, you know? But it's, like interesting to see, like, he takes it as, a, like, a very defensive standpoint. He's, like... It's not as much of like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like he doesn't go into that. He's like, I have papers right here showing that, you know, I was right. But these people are just as bad as me. And he's like, instead of like it being like a defense, it's like trying to drag people down with him. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's just always true. Like the fact that they build him as the scapegoat, but you're like, everyone was involved. Everyone in that Twin Galaxies world was built into the lie, was right. built into this corruption. And that's... Uh, who they are like that's mm -hmm. and it makes sense but yeah it is this thing we uh, we always do we, we always talk about the the one outlier the outlier mm -hmm. and you're like mm -hmm. well sometimes there's just an inherent corruption to the entire situation right you just never think about this sort of stuff of like why would people like care about this so much to the point where they like dedicate their entire lives to it like and right. you watch this documentary and you're like 
was this made to make me feel good? Like, feel yeah. good, better about myself? Like, oh, I'm really not as bad as these other yeah. people with my hobbies, but I, I don't know. <laughs> but I think, but it is really interesting that even, like, and what I really impress, because, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Gordon obviously has a bias towards Steve uh, Weeby, but but that said, um, he doesn't, he's sort of unflinching about it. Like, yeah. the stuff with the wife, and you see his stuff with his family, you do see the effects of it. It's not like right. he's just this perfect guy. And it's also not like he's hiding it. He mm-hmm. very, he's putting it up front as like, I mean, the interviews with the wife, as I keep going back to, are like these incredible, like, portraits of mm. of something that you aren't getting into in this movie, but you are acknowledging, and you're saying, like, right. even this guy, even the best among this subculture, I'm speaking to something about this entire Mm-hmm. group maybe not to every gamer ever but in terms of this group specifically like Weeby is not immune right should we move on to trivia quiz did we get them all did we I do so. did, we, yeah. did we get them all already oh. no you, but you did get one you did get the nice. should we get do we have buzzers are we gonna do a buzzer <laughs> yeah mm. yeah so he was the the arcade owner in the Wreck-It Ralph Movie. I'm not sure what the name of the arcade was, but Litwax yep, or something used, like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, there you go. He got yeah. even more trivia. Let's go. Let's do record. Yeah, here we go. Sequel. Perfect. Okay, so uh, a lot of people have held the title of Donkey Kong Champion. Who currently holds it as of this moment in time? Oh, uh, I, I do up. have multiple choice. Oh, okay, you can't great. Pluck yeah. it. Great. Oh, I'd uh, say. Okay. Or do you have it? Isn't it? It's like Robert Hopper. I want to say Robert Hooper. Yeah, I need the multiple choice. I need the multiple yeah. choice. Okay. <laughs> I know. So A. Steve Weeby. Nope. Nope. B. Robbie Lakeman. C. John McCurdy. D. Hank Chien. It's it's B. It's not B. It's not. It's not. Oh, it's it's the last guy. You're <laughs> right. Robbie Lakeman used to D? hold it. Yeah. No, it's not no? the last oh, one. Either. Well, wow, we are not good at this. <laughs> it, who, it, it's it's C. No, John John McCurdy. John, John McCurdy. McCurdy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. So, and that was only last year, I believe. Uh, the, but who the currently holds the record to Donkey Kong Jr.? Oh, I think that's Steve Weeby. Yeah, that was yeah. funny. That I yeah. like that little thing it, where. Well, that was something that that speaks to whatever a whole new movie is. Like the fact that right. oh, he also holds Donkey Kong Jr. And you're like, we didn't see that. Right. Yeah. The next one's kind of it's, it's not quite on topic, kind of, but this was the game that Mario was introduced to in. Right. Uh, do you know the original name of Mario? Jumpman. Yeah. Incorrect. Oh. Uh, and I have. I have videos. multiple choice. Okay, you can say Jumpman or you can say it's like. So A, Mr. Video. Mr. Video. B, Jumpman. C, Lorenzo. Or D, Osan. It's Mr. Video. Mr. Jumpman is not correct either. Wait, Mr. Video isn't correct? Or sorry, Mr. Video is not correct either. Ooh. Where are you getting your sources? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can get, your, I can get I the think, source later. Yeah, but trivia by Billy Mitchell right over now. here. Yeah. All right. Uh, no, but, I'm just it's uh, It's got to be D. That's correct. Yeah, I'm so much better at this than so, you, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. So Osan is the is it Italian for middle aged man? I think, um, maybe Japanese, uh, but that that's what that means. And so they were that's that was his original title. And then from there it went to Mr. Video, and then to Jumpman, and then to Mario. Because I could have sworn that there was something where because whenever they were making Donkey Kong, they had released this other gaming system like this other game to the u.s that totally flopped they had a bunch of these machines lying around they're like we need to make like an american game and so they made donkey kong but they wanted it to be very american so they had like all of the names like in english yeah. you know it's starting off so that's why i'm kind of s- suspicious oh, yeah. of that 
We can, yeah, we'll we, can do, we can challenge it. it. Yeah, can, yeah. There's a challenge. Can challenge, there's a challenge. But I'll, I mean, I'll, I can give you my source later. Right. Or at least I'll try and find it. Okay. Um, but that's what I got. Uh, Olsan. Yeah. So now it's just on to the challenge. Ooh. Right? Um, Is this trivia so about the this... television show The Challenge? <laughs> yeah. I'm in. The I'm in. Challenge. Let's do it. The, H- the MTV. L challenge. The MTV documentary. <laughs> right. <laughs> so before Billy Mitchell was discovered as being of having fraudulent scores he held about eight records he not about he held eight records do you know Mm -hmm. what games he held records on two of them are actually the same game but it's a different kind of record okay and so sense is donkey kong included in this yes okay so donkey kong Mm pac-man um missile command no no um um, that'd be such sweet irony uh that'd be great so Pac-Man, yeah, he scored 3,333,360 points, which was the right. first the perfect, perfect game. game. Yeah. So, um, Did he do Miss Pac-Man too, or was it just Pac-Man? He did Miss Pac-Man as well. Whole okay. different game dynamics. One. Can't do it. Whole different game. <laughs> Don't I'm, throw you Honestly, off. I'm sure there is some kind of thing about Miss Pac-Man where like, oh, well, the bow actually uh, changes Speed your too. velocity. Yeah. I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> is Galaga in there? Galga's not in there. Mm-mm. Frogger? Nope, no Frogger. What's the hamburger time? What's the one from that? Oh, one? yeah. I think it's just burger time, isn't burger it? Time? Yeah. Burger time? Burger time? Burger time. That is another one. Yep. Nice. Um, That's four. Uh, um, uh, Tapper? What's Taps? Or the... Tapper the beer one? Yeah, yeah, where they, you have to throw the beers uh, down. Same mechanics. Yes. Yeah. Burger time. Right. No? Okay. Nope. Dig mm-hmm. Dug? <laughs> no. Okay. I know it's not Mappy because there's another guy in there who has oh, that one. Mappy, uh, yeah. Um, um, uh, Space Invaders. No Space Invaders. Mm-mm. Call of Duty. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, um, uh, Madden. Yeah, Madden '98. He yeah. has the record. <laughs> uh, he sucked at '97. Um, so one of them, I'll just no. go ahead and say this. One of them is one that you've already guessed, but uh, it wasn't for a high score. It was for a different oh. reason. I feel like it was a fro- was it Frogger? No, it was it was no. one of the ones that he did already. He has two records in one game. Right. So, what's a game that has differential scores? Um What were the ones we have guessed so far? So, we've we've guessed Pac-Man, Burger Time, Mrs. Mrs. Pac-Man and Donkey Kong. Right. So, so probably Burger Time. He has both what like I don't know how Burger Time scored. It's not burger okay. time. Or is it is so, it one that's already a correct answer? Yes. Okay. Well, I think it's Pac-Man because there's like we had the perfect score and the highest score. So it is Pac-Man. Okay. But it was he was uh, it was the fastest perfect game. Oh, that's right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So other people have gotten perfect score, but he um, still holds the fastest, which I think is five hours thirty minutes. Okay. But he doesn't actually have it. He used to hold it, right? Or does he? Were all scores stripped or just that? I think all of them were stripped. Okay. I think, like yeah, Twin I mean, Galaxy I think his, completely he has no credibility in the in the gaming world right. now. I think they stripped mm-hmm. all of his scores. Yeah, if I'm correct, just because of the cheating uh, scandal, right? They Pete Rose yeah. him. So that's five. You got three more. Five. Right? Okay. Um, Are they like popular games or like more hidden ones? Uh, I mean, as far as the community that they were in, they were popular. They met. They mentioned them in the documentary. Tron. Uh, not Tron. I don't know. I think Steve Weeby holds the highest score currently. I don't have a fact check on that, but that was a 
for one of these. Donkey Kong Jr., did he hold a record? Yep, that's okay. it. Whatever Donkey Kong Jr. Okay. Uh, Walter Day mentioned this. Oh, he did? He mentioned this game in the documentary. Not Qbert, because that's Doris. Actually, I'm sure that's getting, that's been beaten, too. Right. Um, was there a baseball one in there? Mm-mm. Joust? Not Joust. It's based on a... Or, well, the title is a, is a bug. Oh, oh, Ladybugs. No. Spiders? <laughs> no, sorry, I forget that. <laughs> um... He mentioned it, yeah. Uh, he mentioned it early on. Yeah, but he did mention it. Um, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, centipede. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Very good. Nice. All right, one more. Um, this is one that I had never heard of, and I don't actually think they mentioned it in the documentary. Oh, shoot. Um, so one we're never going to get. You think you can pull it out, Connor, or do you, do you give up? I'm trying to think. I'm going back to like all the arcades I've ever been to, and I'm trying to like remember <laughs> each one. Galaxia? No, I've not even heard of that. Galaga. <laughs> yeah, not Galaga. Solitaire? Sinistar? <laughs> it's not, Solitaire. he's actually, it's a. It's just a different game. Nope. What? Sinistar. That was a great game. Yeah. <laughs> right, because it's, it's all those games. Like, those are the ones they play. They don't play like, anything after, like, 85. Right. Um, the Periscope game? Because I'm, I'm trying to think of all the, Sega. the vector Ooh. graphics. Developed ones. by Sega. Sonic and Knuckles. <laughs> yeah, Sonic 3D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sonic 32X. 32X. So this game was the first game. It was the first game to employ axonometric projection. Oh, of course. The type of yeah, it's isometric projection, and the effect simulated three dimensions from a third-person viewpoint. It was also the first arcade game to be advertised on television, with a commercial produced by Paramount Pictures for one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow, another another Paramount uh, uh, Sonic collaboration. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, all right, you give up? Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm trying to remember all these ones because I feel like I don't know. I feel like I can see it, and it's not that Periscope one. It's not. I feel like it's a space one. You know where? Yeah, just give it to us. Okay, it's called Zaxxon. Oh, never. I wouldn't guess named, I mean, I've played. Yeah, it's it, an isometric it's shooter arcade game. Uh, in which the player pilots a ship through heavily defended space fortresses. So you were right there. It was a space game. Kind of like the Star Wars um, game. Yeah, I got the name from the axonometric projection. So that's kind of where the name came from. But Of course. Right. So, yeah. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah. Duh. <laughs> so, yeah. There you go. Cool. You, you guys did pretty well. No, Seven out of eight. Not true. Not even close. <laughs> not even close to true. Um, Teamwork. You got it. I know. I, I think I'm going to have to retire from trivia to, to <laughs> pursue my true love, which, again, is collecting erotic art. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> hey, you got the Wreck-It Ralph question. Bravo. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Well. Very cool. Yeah, I think that, I mean, about, wraps like, us up. yeah, wraps us up. But thanks so much for being on. And Thanks yes. for having me. Thanks Thank for you, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Definitely have to have you on again. Uh, yeah. Riley, do you want to tease the next episode, or do you want me to tease it? or? Um. I'll tease it. All right. So the next one is probably going to be a strange pick for a lot of people. Yeah. Probably <laughs> but not But something very close to me and Connor. Um, our favorite band, Switchfoot, released a documentary called Fading West. And so we will be doing that for our next documentary. And we have a special um, guest. And we do have a special guest. Mr. Dan Funk mm-hmm. uh, will be joining us. Yeah. Of Sweet 25. A, a Switchfoot fan mm-hmm. as well. Of Yeah, Dan Funk of Sweet 25 band. We already had Luke Hogan on here, so... This is the other, or one of the, the other third, 
of the other. <laughs> These guys have great names. Luke was Luke was the first third. Funk and Hogan. Is the yeah. Third. Oh, so they're like older school wrestling names too. Exactly. He's actually Terry Funk's son, and and the other one is uh, Terry Balea's son. Mm-hmm. Took Hogan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the so it'll... Hulk Hogan like voice kind of gets grinding after like an Ooh. hour on the podcast. So I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Probably start off their episode again with some of their songs and all that. So mm-hmm. if you hear something different, that's why. That's but, why. Yeah, uh, make sure to follow us on all forms of social media: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Make sure to reach out to us and tell us what you think of the show and what we could change, do better, or put in more of. And yeah think that about wraps us up uh we gotta thank luke hogan and caden reed for the theme song and gotta thank john skinner for the graphic yeah all right until next time wait what has this been riley (laughs) oh ah, this has been film analysis for a modern audience thank you very much